We have been in this book of Hebrews now for quite a while, about six, seven months. At the beginning of this, at the beginning of the year, I said, hey, look, this year we're going to ask you guys, we're going to challenge you guys, we're going to encourage you guys to, to make this year about risking faith. What is, what is God doing in your life? How is he leading you to, to risk your faith? And what does that look like after we had talked about maturity and, and authenticity the years before? And how are we going to, how are we going to um, allow that faith to be something that can be risked? And the entire book of Hebrews up to, through chapter 10 has been making this very long point of Jesus being the greatest thing around, better than angels, better than the old covenant, better than the Levitical law and the priesthood that happened there, that he is the the high priest of all high priests, that he still exists. And so the entirety of Hebrews 10 has been making this massive, big, huge point about who Jesus Christ is and how important it is for us to remember that. Now we move to chapter 11, which is, if you spend any time in the church, you've, you've heard about these stories. You've, you've recognized these stories, and you've, you've read through them, and you've maybe heard about these individuals, and so we're going we're gonna to talk about them in chapter 11 today, but we're not going to actually get into those individuals. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up. The ushers will grab one for you. Um, this, this chapter is a profound chapter, and this subject is such a huge and big subject that I, I want to just kind of come out on the front and say, when, when we see things like it's absolutely impossible for us to please God without faith, that's a really, really big statement. That's a huge statement, and, and we, we see that without faith, um, we can't enter into his kingdom or enter into his rest, and so faith is this huge, huge, huge thing that I, I unfortunately won't necessarily give us a great definition of, and I actually don't feel like Hebrews 11 is working at a definition, but more of a description of how it looks. So we're going to dig into it. We'll give you a little bit, but at the end of this text, most likely at the end of this, really the summer of faith as we talk about it into the fall, my bet is we're not going to still be able to say that we fully understand how faith works and the definition it plays out, but my hope would be that we'd start to see faith come alive in us and that we'd start to see the, the action out of faith, the, the working of the faith that's been given to us by God, like Ephesians 2.8 says coming and growing into fruition. And so that's, that's where we are. Last week, uh, John covered the, the last part of, of Bruce chapter 10. He did a great job. I don't have time to cover it, but I would encourage you to go back. But there's one verse that I feel like really makes sense that we got to kind of talk about because I feel like if we were to just kind of oversimplify the book of Hebrews, I think the one verse last chapter kind of is it. It's the oversimplification of what the author's headed at. So let's look at it real quick. It's chapter 10, verse 34. He's talking about persecution, and John talked about all that and all the difficulties that were going on. And if you remember right, this this group of people, these Hebrews, they were starting to feel persecution. It was starting to happen, and it gets really bad after this was even written. And they're starting to experience some of those things. And so he's talking about them. He says, for you, speaking to these Jewish Christians, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. In this section, he's saying, look, there are these, these people that what was happening is people were getting imprisoned for claiming faith in Christ. And instead of boarding up their house and taking care of their possessions, they left them to be with the individuals in prison. And ultimately what that would mean if, if someone was standing next to them was like, hey, you're just going to get in prison too. And they say, hey, my, my possessions, my stuff does not matter to me. I have a, a, something of value that's eternal. It's, it's greater. It's grander. And that's, that's what I'm fixated on. That's what I'm focused on. And so the entirety of Hebrews, as it works its way, speaking about Jesus as a high priest and all the other aspects of who Jesus is, is working to a people that through faith could live a life that nothing matters in this, in this world. 
except for our eternal value in Christ alone. That our eyes aren't fixated on the things around us, but instead fixed on Christ. Hebrews 12 says, fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of your life. He, he moves right out of these descriptions of all these people, Rahab and Noah and all these incredible people that we call these pillars of faith. And he goes, no, right into this is what it looks like. This is how it plays out in our lives. And so I think if we oversimplify the book of Hebrews, God is about creating a people that have this kind of lifestyle where they would forsake every single thing of earthly value for kingdom purposes. Not just monetary, but comfort, stability, safety, like willing to just risk it all. And my fear is as we talk about faith for all of us, as we talk about faith, again, most of us aren't going to experience in our lifetime the difficulties that John even talked about last week. Most of us, though, we create such an, such an insulated life, my fear is that we've actually removed any form of persecution that could be there. And we've, we've allowed ourselves to shrink back like last chapter said. Don't shrink back, but stand with confidence from the very simplest of things. From a coworker saying something that isn't true about Christ and not standing up. From a family member saying something that isn't true about Christ and not standing up. To our job saying we can't talk about Christ and so we submit to them, but then we just totally shrink back in all ways around that. Like we have, we've insulated ourselves to comfort where we aren't allowing Christ to come forward in confidence. And I think this is the people he's going for, the people that don't shrink back. All of Hebrews has been talking about this whole time. It's perseverance to the end. It's not just the beginning. It's not just a one single act. It's perseverance to the end. Another thing that we have to know about this chapter is I don't think that we'll really see out of Abraham's life and Noah's life and all these different lives of the definition of faith, but I think we'll see how faith applies to sacrifice and, and obedience and what it means to walk with God. And we'll see, how, we'll see areas of, of faith and how they're playing out. And I, I hope at the end of this we'll have a better picture of it. But again, I think as big as a subject is, as heavy as a subject of faith is, I just don't think we have enough words to describe it. But let's, let's dig in and let's talk about the first description that they have here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By it, by faith, the Old Testament, our elders, everyone, everyone before us, it, they were a witness because of faith. Okay? Verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Okay, so there's a couple things that need to happen in this text. First, just a, a kind of a basic definition of, of faith. Again, it's not, it's not going to be a full definition, but it's the simplest one I've heard from a good friend of mine. That it's taking God at his word and acting on it. That's the simplest way that you can kind of it's a, again, an oversimplification of it. But there's a couple things that we learn from this text that if we just replace a couple words that I think have been misused. First, the first word is, is, is assurance. So it says here, it says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Most of the versions of the Bible translate assurance. That one word is only used once in, in, the new, in the entirety of the Bible. So we can't go to another area. But there are old Greek literature or, or Jewish literature that uses this word. And usually what it comes to mean is a substance or a, to stand under. So the word is, it's a, instead of assurance, it's substance. Literally means to, to stand under, to support. It's something that kind of holds something up. So if we read that first word differently, it would say faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, I, I know what that sounds like. It seems a little weird because most of us are like, man, my faith needs substance. How can faith be substance, right? Like it's, 
I feel like faith is this ambiguous, it's out there and this weird, I don't know how to grab it, we don't know how to define it, we just kind of hope it's happening. But he's, if, we, if we understand this right here, it's faith is a substance of things hoped for. Then go on. The conviction, that's another word that we can change, which would be used very well, and a lot of scholars agree on this. Conviction could be changed to evidence. That makes a little sense if we think of faith as substance. So let me read that again. It's, now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, if faith is the evidence of things not seen, then what we're, what we're recognizing is, is ultimately what verse 3 says, which is, okay, now we realize that the earth, the world was created by the invisible things. God didn't take and, and work with what he had, like, oh, here's some stuff, I'll put this together. God created out of it. Now, faith is our substance. It's, it's what we see. It's concrete. It's real. It's whole. And it's what gives us evidence of the things that are unseen. So I know that seems a bit circular and like we're going in, in circles here, but hang on one second. Stay with me. If, if faith is the confidence of things hoped for, then when a believer has faith, it is God's way of giving him confidence and assurance or evidence that what is promised will be experienced. And so a lot of times I think we, we struggle with faith being substance or real or in those things because, again, it's, it's well, you just need to have faith. You just need to have faith. Just have faith. And most of us, at one point or another, have viewed faith as, oh, you just got to have blind faith. And we're just kind of, it's out there. We don't know what's happening. But that's not what this scripture here is saying. That's not what this description is saying here. It's saying it's actually, there's actually something to it. It's a foundation. It's what we stand on. It's something full. It's something concrete. The Ephesians 2.8 says that, that faith is a gift. It's given to us. We see out of Corinthians and a number of other texts in Romans that there's a, a portion of faith given to us depending upon who we are. And so there's aspects. We also see the disciples in Luke 17 asking for more faith because Jesus said the only reason why that demon couldn't get out was because you lack faith. And then he goes on to say, all you need is the faith of a mustard seed. Those are teeny, I've seen those. So to accomplish much, you only need a little bit of faith, but it's a gift from God and he gives it appropriately. The father that needs his son healed, he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. Right, so there's this, this line that faith is there. Now, how does this substance change it for us? Well, you put, when you say you have faith in something, you're putting faith in that individual. I have faith in my wife that she will be faithful to me. So I, I have put my faith in Jen in that way, right? Most every single one of you do this with the most ridiculous things ever because there's substance that you can see. There are things you can touch. You have faith that your car is going to start every day. Some of you are like, man, I don't, not my car. That's okay, that, that's, you're an exception. But most of you, you put your key in, you turn it on, and it starts. Or you, if you're really fancy, you push the button, right? Like if you got a little like, nice, nicer car, you push the button. But either way, you, you start it, and it goes. You have no idea. Most of us have zero idea on how that all works, how the starter sends power and fuel and air, and they combust and make it. Some of you are like, yeah, I got that. But okay, don't ruin my point here, okay? The point is, is most of us have no idea how it happens. It just happens. You don't say, well, it's obvious that my car is working because it combusted at the right rate and all those things. Although that's true, you don't know it. Well, most of us view God and his substance as ambiguous and not touchable, not seeable. And so therefore, our faith now becomes weak. The first time your car doesn't start, the next, I don't know, month after that, every time you go, once it's fixed, you go to start, you're like, okay. Like your faith is destroyed in your car in that moment. So when he says faith is the substance of things, then, then what we're saying is that, that it's, it's tangible. I can, I can grab it. I can hold it. I can touch it. Well, how does he make the things that are unseen seen? Verse 3, by the word of God. By the word of God. So faith isn't in this ambiguous, weird circle where it's like, okay, it's our substance, but then we need more faith. It's, it's through the word of God that we have faith. 
He gives it to us as his children. We submit our lives to him. Faith is this profoundly big thing that, that we can have. And it's what God says, ultimately, if you want to be saved, it's by grace through this very thing, through faith. And it's a gift. It's not of your works. You can't muscle it up. You can't strengthen it. So when I say, when someone says to you, well, you know, if you're in a hard situation, you just need to have more faith. They're not hoping you just white-knuckle faith and grab onto some weird, ambiguous, okay, I'm just, think harder. No, it's, it's just you need to put your trust fully in God. You want to have faith, you, you trust him as your substance. You trust him as, as who he says he is. The entire first 10 chapters are talking about who Jesus is and what it really means for those that submit their lives to him. And then he says, now look, when it gets hard, when life gets difficult, faith. I heard a pastor once say this, we view God as someone that needs to be slightly thanked before a meal and heavily questioned in difficult times. Because when difficulty comes, oh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm supposed to have this perfect, easy life that nothing should go wrong because God is bigger than that. Yes, he is bigger than all that. But nowhere in Scripture does it say it's going to be easy. In fact, the hall of faith that we're going to look at, look at their life alone. should pretty much give us an idea of like, oh, it's not going to be easy. Right. It's going to be difficult. Persecution will come. What the author is doing here is he's, he's saying, look, this, this faith is huge. It's important for us to understand that it's, it's not only... It's not only a gift, but it's, it's the evidence in our lives. You just need to see it. Well, the only way you'll see faith is if God gives you the eyes to see it. That's it. Have you guys ever seen those 3D, I heard a pastor talk about this, and I thought it was brilliant, those 3D pictures? Ever seen those ones? They used to be fancy in the mall when you went to the mall. I don't think anyone goes there anymore. It's just all Amazon. But have you ever seen those, like the books or the pictures? It's like just a bunch of colors, and you stare at it, and they say it like a sailboat. And you're like, all I see is colors right? Like, that's it. It's not if, is, does this just not connect with any of you? Okay, come on. Okay, yeah, so, so apparently, okay, young millennials, it's something you've never seen before, okay? So it's just, just, just go with me. But basically, it's a picture of things that ultimately, like, it's just a chaos and colors that make no sense at all. And then if you, like, cross your eyes or stare or look through it or I don't know what the, the, the trick is or whatever, you just look at it. Kids are really good at it, by the way. Little kids, they just see it right away. Like, oh, look, a teddy bear. It's like, where is that kid? You know, like, they see it, right? But, like, it'll turn into this picture, and all of a sudden you'll see a sailboat perfectly there out of these colors and this chaos. That is like faith. God gives you eyes to see what he's doing. Most of us pray for a miracle. We want a miracle, and it's good to pray for miracles. It's fine. But we forget the very miracle that we are children of God. That in and of itself is the most profound and biggest thing in your own very life, that, that you can call him Father because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. That is huge. And God gives us the eyes to see that. So then when we look at creation, when we look at this world, when we see that beautiful mountainscape, it all is a fingerprint of God. And faith is the way that he gives us eyes to see it. And so no longer do we look at that mountain and go, wow, that's neat. I wonder how long that took. We look at that mountain and say, wow, God created that. God put that in place to show him. We look at the other individuals, that all of us that are made in his image, and we say, this is a person that was made in the image of God, which changes the way we treat them, hopefully. This is a, a profound and big and huge and beautiful thing. But as I, as I looked at this scripture, as I look at this definition even, or, or understanding this, I, I see a couple things. First off, true biblical faith, true Bible faith, is confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. Let me say that one more time. True Biblical faith, the way you want to see biblical faith play out in your life, it's confident obedience. Confident obedience. Not a, okay, I'm going to obey, or fine, I'll obey. We always tell our kids, like, yes, I'll do that. Like, that's not, that's not obedience. That's, 
That's not what he's looking for. It's confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. Well, how many times has God's word convicted you and you haven't stepped in confident obedience? And that's the truth, and you haven't, then you would be doing what verse 39 said, someone shrinking back as opposed to standing in confidence before the Lord in chapter 10. So he says this is a confidence that we can have. One scholar said it this way, faith enables the believing soul. I love this. Faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. Faith allows me to say, look, God promises to finish the work he's going to do in me. Even though last week or the week before, over the last consecutive month, I just feel like I'm going nowhere, God has promised to finish that work in me. And so I will no longer pretend like it may or may not happen. I'm not going to just hope that it will be out there. Like, no, my hope isn't just that it may or may not happen. Faith is that it's going to happen. I'm confident on the promises of God and what is written in his word. Confident on that. One of the things that happens to us as we come to these heroes is we can tend to make this scripture a lot about Abraham. I mean, the dude did some amazing things. I mean, sure, he pretended his wife was his sister a couple times, but either way, we'll ignore that, right? But like, but he did these incredible things. And so it'd be really easy for us to elevate Abraham to this, this pedestal. Oh, Abraham, which we saw this author kind of do. He basically said, look, Abraham, as cool as he was, ah, Jesus is greater. Melchizedek, as cool as he was, up, oh, Jesus is greater. Okay, all these people that they held to high esteem, he says, no, Jesus is greater. But then he goes back to these people that he just kind of squashed to make sure that he knew that, everyone knew that they fit well underneath Jesus. They weren't even a close second. And then he comes back to them and starts talking about their life. And, and he says a repetitive statement that was so common in Jewish culture so it would be remembered by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. So that there was no question that how Abraham did this, why? And what he did was by faith. Well, how did Abraham get faith? It's a gift from God. So it was by God's work. So that no one can boast. And he says this over and over and over again. And it'd be really easy for us to kind of focus in. And we're going to spend, like I said, we'll be in this probably till the fall, the rest of this, because of serve the cities and stuff like that. But we, we will be in this till the fall. And it'll be really easy for us to take that person, elevate it, and be like, oh, I just wish, I wish I could have faith like Noah. You know, 60 years, he just looked like a fool. We, we make it about Noah, and it has nothing to do with Noah. That's just one way in which faith played out in Noah, but it was a work of God in Noah. Noah was submitted to God. He was confident that what God was asking him, despite circumstances, despite consequences, he was confident that God, it was worth being obedient to God no matter what the cost. That's, that's what faith looks like. And, and as I started thinking about this, I wondered if, you know, God preserved these scriptures for us for, for a very long time. It's fantastic. But I wonder if, if there was something missed in these, in these heroes, meaning that we keep going back to these heroes thousands of years ago. And I wonder if there's actually today heroes that we're supposed to be looking to, modern-day heroes. And if you just take this scripture as a sandwich between what happens in 10, the end of 10, 1034, and the beginning of 12, it seems like all this is is just a list of ways that this played out. It wasn't meant to make it about them by any means. It was, hey, this is just what faith has looked like. This is what God has done through faith in these individuals. And it made me start thinking about today. What would God say about us or about me that by faith? By faith, Bren, what? By faith, Bren, what? By faith, put your name in there, what? And what I realize is, is, that, is that as I have four wonderful children, I want them to see my faith in a way that they would be able to say, man, by faith, Dad did this. But I don't want them to just look 
to Abraham and Noah and Isaac and, all of, and Rahab and all of what they did, I want them to be able to look at the people around them. I want them to have that cloud of witnesses today. And I think as profound and as big as this, this, this history is, and it's, it's, it's wonderful and it's in there, I think, again, most of us probably won't have a book written about us. That's not the point here. But we have plenty of church history fathers that we can look back and say, look, by faith, Martin Luther did this, by faith, by faith, by faith. We can go through all these different people. But we're, what we're not hearing about is the random person that no one ever knows about, but their faith was infectious to the individuals around them. And I think it'd be really easy for us to go, okay, well, we're not worth any kind of story unless we have Abraham faith, unless God tells me to take my son up on the mountain and, and, and sacrifice him. Then, then maybe I can be in that level of it. And I, and I realize, really, guys, I don't think that we're supposed to just look to them as our heroes. I, I think that God's still creating and working and making heroes around us. And I, th- I think as, as crazy as it sounds, I think that he wants us to be that cloud of witnesses for the generations behind us. Again, not, not for our glory, not so people can put our name in a book. That's not the purpose. If some of you are starting to think that, like, stop, go back to God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble, and spend some time there, okay? That's what, that's what that needs to happen. But I think, I think our lives are supposed to be lived in a way that when we get to a Hebrews 12, we say, therefore, since you are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, I don't think that's limited to just these people. I mean, it was a lot closer to them. It still is a way. Some of them are still a long ways away from them. The cloud of witnesses can be each other. And I, I'm telling you, I would love, I would love, love, love for one of my daughters to make a statement when she's a little older saying, by faith, so-and-so did this, and so I know I'm supposed to do that. Because again, I don't think most of us are gonna have the, the, the choice to like walk our son up to a mountain and, and get ready to, to dismember him as an offering to the Lord. I don't think that's gonna happen. Most of us aren't hearing from God to build an ark okay? Like, that's just probably not going to happen. But all of us are having opportunities to do something by faith. By faith, I was a teacher in the public school system, and I, and I figured out a way to show Christ despite that it could risk my job. By faith, I didn't let my peers in school dictate how I operated. Instead, I stood out for Christ because I knew that's what Christ would want. By faith, I remained faithful to my spouse, which seems so rare in these days. By faith, I didn't shrink back from that conversation. By faith, I made decisions with my finances that made no sense to all the big banks around here, but they were fully for the kingdom. What would it look like to be a people that that was said about? What would it look like to be a people that was said, now, just do this for me. By faith. It'd be really easy for me to go, by faith, I left a really comfortable position and went into ministry. Okay, well, that was about 11, 12 years ago. Awesome. By faith, I started church. Okay, well, that's almost seven years ago. I don't think they're meant to be one instances decades ago. If I don't have a by faith today, like by faith, what did, what did God, and again, it's not for boasting because the faith is a gift from God. It's his doing. If I lack faith, I ask for more from him. It's his work, it's not me. But if I don't have a step in my life in the last six months of by faith, then I'm not in his word. Then I'm not connected to him because I can tell you right now every single day, although you do not feel the persecution like our brothers and sisters do around the world like John was talking about, I can tell you right now every single day you are having a choice, an opportunity to either stand in confidence with God and how you spend your money, how you communicate, what comes out of your mouth, what you read, what you give yourselves to, how you parent, what you do at school, what you do with your grades, what choices you make for your future. Every single day you are making a decision to either stand in confidence where Christ would have you or to shrink back in fear. And I'm telling you, that's either a by faith or you of little faith. By faith or you of little faith. And so what would, 
what would a narrator write about you? What would, if they were going to write your story, what would your list be? By faith, I put more security in my future finances than I did his kingdom purposes. By faith, I know what the scriptures told me to do with my kids, but it was just easier to make the church do that. That wouldn't be, that wouldn't make it to the list. Those things wouldn't be like, wow, that's so inspiring. Look what God has done. That's, that's small. Which goes back to the fact that Jesus is our substance of our faith. When we lack faith, we have made God small. We make God small because we don't read his scriptures. We aren't in his word. That he's held together for us. He says, look, you want to know what's, you want to see the unseen? Well, it comes through the word of God. That's how the world was created. Let's see the unseen. Here it is. And that word became flesh in Jesus Christ. And he's our high priest and he's the way to him. So what would it be for you? I'm going to ask you this on repeat over the summer. So some of you are going to be like, well, this is a good time to take a bunch of vacations, right? I'm going to ask you on repeat over summer. What is God leading you to to risk for faith? And some of you look, I'm just going to throw this out there. I don't think we need to go look for persecution, but I think we need to spend a lot more time looking less comfortable. Let me, just, let me just say it that way, okay? Because I think so often we go, that just doesn't make sense. Well, okay, let's look at a couple pillars of faith. Noah, that didn't make sense. Abraham, that didn't make sense. Rahab, still doesn't make sense. Enoch, who knows what's going on there, right? We'll find out in a couple weeks, right? But like, either way, none of it makes sense. Following the Lord may not make sense to those around you. The best way it will is it'll make sense to a bunch of believers that are cloud of witnesses with you. You go, man, I mean, if this is crazy, but if the Lord's in this and I, I don't feel any pride, I, I'm, I'm walking with you, I don't see this. Now, wait, let's take in this context. That would be a really foolish thing to do with your finances, but hang on now. Oh, yep, okay, this makes sense. If you have people around you, man, you can, you can run. But why? Why would we spend so much of our energy? And this is, this is ultimately what it comes down to. 1034, the end of it. Since you knew that you yourselves had a what? A better possession. Our better possession isn't this world, guys. It's not our security. It's not our safety. It's not our comfort. It's not our money. It's not, our, it's not even our relationships. Our better possession is the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. So by faith, what would you do? By faith, Cameron. By faith, Mike. By faith, Dan. By faith, Jenna. By faith, Emily, what would you do? What would it say? And here's, here's the thing, two things. One is if you're ashamed of what it says, it's not too late, okay? It's not too late. You can still stand in confidence. God is not done with you because why? He promises to finish the work that he started in us. Something that can give us future hope because it's founded in the substance of God's promises. It's not hypothetical. It's not wishful thinking. It's not ambiguous. It's more certain than your car starting. It's real, it's tangible, it's ours by faith. I want so badly, I want so badly for community people to be just so on fire for the Lord, not for their name, not so that we can be like, oh, that church, they really get it, but that every single person goes, man, Jesus just is around. And all we see is Jesus in that. And all we see is that person. And every pastor wants that. But here's what I realized. I want that for my kids. You look at this world and it doesn't take long to realize, wow, it's a mess. You look at the, the families with inside the church and you're like, wow, it's a mess. It doesn't take long to see the pain and the hurt and the difficulty in this world. And I want my kids to have a plethora of examples of by faith in their lives. I want when I say something to be like, oh yeah, I saw that perfectly in Emily when she was watching us the other day. It's like, awesome. Thank you, Jesus. And I think we're called to be that.
Again, not for fame. That's not the point. The, the band's going to come up and we're going to worship. Not for fame, but, but for an opportunity to live out the faith that's been given to you as a gift from God to make much of his son, Jesus Christ, which is the whole point of our life anyways. We're going we're to sing a song. It's called Wake Up. And it literally has wake up in it. And I feel like we need to wake up. I feel like as, as Christians, it's time to stop sleeping. As followers of Jesus, it's time to actually put our life on the line. And not, well, that's it, I'm running to Syria and I'm going to step into it. Although if God is leading you there, I will totally support that. But it's time to stop buffering ourselves with so much comfort that we don't have anything in, in our book of life that would say, by faith, Bren, what? Instead, I think it's time we just wake up. I think it's time we just let go a little bit. We start making decisions that are completely true and follow the character of God and his word and make no sense to this world. I'm telling you right now, if you make way too much sense to this world, you have forgotten your place as a follower of Jesus. If the way you do everything makes complete sense to the world around you, then you've become a slave to two masters. And God's word says that you can only love one and serve one. You will hate the other. So wake up. Wake up. Let faith be real in you. As we look to these stories and the ambiguity of it, and we figure out the scariness of it, it's impossible to please God without faith. As we, as we dive into these things, let yourself be risky. Let yourself ask questions that you normally wouldn't ask because it just didn't seem safe. It makes you tighten up a little bit. And you're like, ah, oh, I want to kind of shrink back. But I know that 39 said that we are of the people that don't shrink back, but stand in confidence because our substance, our faith is built on God and his word. And he is so powerful, so real so tangible. And he's proven that through Jesus Christ. We pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for faith. Lord, I, I think that every single one of us, I know for myself as well, and maybe there's some that here that don't, but I think for every single one of us, we need more faith. So we'd ask that you'd enlarge it. You'd give us faith. I think we can utter like the, the father that so desperately wanted his son healed. I believe, but help my unbelief. Father, would you give us strength? God, for those of us that you've already given faith and we just continue to shrink back, would you would you convict us with your Holy Spirit? Would you draw us out? Would you keep pushing on us? Would you pressure us? Would you push harder? Take away the things of this world that get in our way. If it's relationships, money, time, whatever it is, God, just strip that all of us so that all we can be left with is your faith. And Father, I pray that we'd wake up. I pray that this wouldn't be another time where we hear your word and we go, oh, neat, or yeah, I need to do something, but instead we submit ourselves to your word. God, would your word be alive for us? Would you allow these words to not just just be things that we do out of a shameful obedience or a duty, but instead be things that are our true life, our bread, our, 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 what we thirst for and hunger for. Father, I pray for risky faith in my own life. I pray that for everyone else. I pray that we start seeing things that make a lot less sense to this world. And I pray that you would get the glory alone for that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can grab a quick seat wanted to update you on a couple things. A couple weeks ago, Jake, Jonathan, and I were able to go to the Philippines for a very quick trip. It was four days of flying for kind of three days on the ground, which was a little bit of a whirlwind, but it was awesome and fantastic. And I wanted to kind of update you on a few things there. First off, before I even do, uh, Jonathan, me, specifically Jake as well, but Jess, Justin, there's many people that, Emily, there's many people here that have been. If you want to know more, like, what is this Philippines? What is this Notavotus? What are we really doing there? I want to understand more of the relationships. All of them are, are willing to come to your, your house, your small group, your community group, your family time, whatever, lunch, whatever. If you want a coffee, we would love to spend more time. I'll, but I wanted to update you 
a little bit. First off, we started a scholarship program as an idea really not of ours, but theirs, which is the same reason why we went at such a weird time of year. It was because as Jake was in communication with them saying, hey, what, what are the times we have to get over there, but when do you want us there? They kept saying, we want you here for the graduation, we want you here for the graduation. So then it was like, well, when is that happening and how does that work? And so basically it worked out where they really wanted us there for the end of year party and being there for that. Our first high school student that we started supporting, she graduated high school and is now enrolled in college. So she's moving on. So that was one of the reasons there, which is awesome. Yes, it's fantastic. And then, and then uh, a, one of a college students that an individual family has supported, not a part of the scholarship program, but she also graduated college and is now moving into career, which is awesome. But I wanted to give you a few updates. First off, the microloan system that we started was a, is kind of, here's a little bit of money to get some people some businesses. And I'm pretty sure Jake will have to check the facts. And I'm almost positive that William told me, and you can nod or shake your head, Jake, because you're back there. Um, every single person that's taken money has paid out that or is paid on it. No one's defaulted on that. Is that correct? 5% of default. Okay, so either way, 5%. Thank you, Jake. Thank you, man in the back. Perfect. Okay, so... Um, <clears throat> Uh, 5% of default, but what we found out also is William had mentioned to me that they were charging interest on it. And I was like, ah, why would you do that? And he said the families that had been taking money for the microloans wanted more money in the microloan system. And so we kind of left feeling like the microloan system is almost self-sustaining on their own, and they're doing it. And some of their largest donors and most generous people are scholarship parents that have started businesses that have now, those businesses are thriving and doing really, really well. So that was a fantastic bit of news. The second part that was really, really exciting for me was we seem to have, it seems like, it looks like we have a really, really good college solution for our scholarship students, which has been something we've been trying to find for a while, which is fantastic because in the Philippines, you can't really get a job at McDonald's without a college degree. So you need a college degree to continue to move that forward. And it looks like this time we actually have that solution. Rika, who graduated, she is already enrolled in college and moving forward. So thank you. Again, we're going to try and keep those college scholarships in this scholarship program. So the money that you guys have given in the past has gone to that. It's also going to include them. One of our concerns was as they get older, it's more expensive. What your scholarship gives is uniforms, uh, school supplies they need, transportation to and from school, and then a meal every single day. And that's what that usually goes to. Well, the fees were getting expensive, and as kids go older in age, it gets more and more expensive. But the president right now, the government there, just made a push to, to drop a bunch of government fees, which is a huge deal. So be praying that that actually sticks and stays because it would lower the cost of education as a whole substantially, which would be fantastic because then that would free up funds to carry through college really well. So please keep praying on that. That was another really cool, huge win. And then, okay, so one of the other things that we did um, was we took this lovely gentleman, Jonathan. He's handsome and, and awesome, and that was why we took him. Actually, that's not why we took him. <laughs> one, of the, one of the big reasons why we took him is Jake and I were talking about um, there's always, we, we don't go with our agenda. So the reason why we're there in summer is because that's what they wanted from us. We don't push our agenda on what we're doing. We don't even say this is how scholarship has to be done or this is how microloans have to be done. We really submit ourselves to partnering with the church and having good accountability there and letting them do the mission that God's really called them to, led them to, and we just want to be a support in that and, and join in with them. One of the things is Jonathan was, was born and raised in India. I don't know if you knew that about him. He, he had mentioned that he had experienced extreme poverty and experience those things. And so when we've shown videos, if you've ever remember the video that Jake put where the ground was moving, trash, Jonathan said that was the closest thing that he saw when he walked through it to what it was like when he was really young. 
So he has lived in that side, and Jonathan has some really funny stories about white people coming to India as missionaries and some of the struggles and issues they had. And so we really asked John to just kind of come and give some of your discernment. Like, just pay attention. See if we're causing struggles or if you're seeing things that maybe you'd pick up on that you remember growing up in. And so they did this really awkward thing where they decided that they were going to share. They wanted all the scholars, so they wanted us just to hang out with them. So we hung out with them. And it was all the scholar kids and their parents and the, or the families that were with them. And they set John, Jake, and I in like three chairs facing all of them. You know, like, hey, it was really awkward. And then they basically took turns to come up and like do their thank yous. And so, so John made a really, really cool realization that I wanted him to share with you. I put him on the spot last service, but you had time to prepare this time. Yeah. So, so one, one thing I've seen happen growing up, like what Brent mentioned, is uh, when there are foreigners who have money, well, you know, we, from looking at the other end, you know, everyone who comes there who's, who's, a foreigner who is, is rich, right? And uh, they, there's always this, this weird, unhealthy view or respect for people who come with, with things that they need, that we've needed. And so I was kind of looking to see if, if there's any kind of unhealthy respect or, you know, um, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's not necessary, that's not Christian, that's not what we want to see happen. And so in this, in this event, I was, was kind of a little not sure if this would be a time where they just keep praising us over and over again in a very weird way. And so we were sitting there in the front, and then these families come forward, and they are genuinely thankful. They are, they are weeping, they are crying and sharing their story about how, how their lives have been different since this partnership has begun. And every story, it wasn't rehearsed, but every story had... A, a, the very similar, a very similar theme. They first thanked God. They first thanked God for the blessing that they were receiving from, you know, f- from the church. And, and then the secondly, they, they thanked their pastor and their family and their church, the local church. They, they saw that this church was God's hand in using this church to bless, to bless them individually. And then finally they thanked us. And they saw us as people who are partnering with the church through God and blessing then, and we were not the we were not the showcasing main event. It was God who's doing what He's doing through the church, through the church body, through the pastor, the local pastor and his family, and then using God's using us to bless them. So for me, that was a, a very very healthy posture for them to have towards us. Uh, I also remember when Bren was sweeping the floor on our first day in the church to just trash all over the place, and they were like, they, they didn't stop him. They're like, hey, thanks for doing it, you know. That is a beautiful thing to see how they see us as co-heirs. Co to uh, We are brothers in Christ, that we are serving the same God, and we are doing this together. So yeah. that's my Yeah, and they always, every single thing they did, and obviously there's a lot more details. Jake could give you a ton of, like, really concrete details, so I would encourage you to offer him food and bring him to your gospel community or whatever. One of the things that they do is they don't, we don't scholarship individual families because they have some pretty strict guidelines on what it takes to be a scholarship student. They require them to come to church every week and be a part of these cell groups, these home groups they do, and this discipleship process, and they give their weekly allotment during that Sunday. So it's very, very particular. Well, sometimes kids don't make it. They either they have fallen out of the system because of the, their own choices, or they've moved to province. Well, there was one that moved to province, and they picked up a new family, and um, she got up to share, and she shared, and almost all of them shared, like, oh, man, the blessing this has been, but every single thing went back to the spiritual blessing. Like, God is alive because of this, and I have... I started following. I'm so thankful for Jesus. And, and the one, she's actually one that we see in the video that we're going to show in a second that gets baptized. She's pregnant. Her, her husband, and her kids are all following the Lord after being stepped into this, this scholarship program because of the other family that moved away in last year. And so it has been phenomenal to see what God has done in and through that. And I want to just thank you, like, thank you, thank you, thank you for 
for praying for them. Thank you for, for giving to this. It's, it's, a, it's an incredible thing, not that we are doing, but that God is doing, and we are super excited about the partnership. There will be more stuff happening in the future. We actually had some great vision kind of put for that for some extra trips in the front. Talk to Jake about that if you want to know more about that as well. Without any more, I want to show you a video that actually Jake put together of our time. This was the pool party that they put on every year. They thanked us. By the way, in this, one of two things that kept getting thanked for. One was the pool party because they never get to go to a pool, ever. And the other was their Christmas gifts. A lot of them said they would just go to sleep on Christmas Eve because they usually wouldn't have a meal or gifts to do. And they were so thankful that they were able to do that with their kids. So you guys have all taken part in that when the giving tree when we do that in November. This is uh, about nine of the, the people getting baptized at a pool party that William and Mercy have used everything as evangelism, so they opened it up to the community. So not only were scholarship and scholarship families came, but they also invited other people in the neighborhood to come. And I think we fit like 134 people in four jeepneys. It was kind of nuts. Um, but, um, but, but we were all there, and it was fantastic. And they, they collected money from the neighborhood to come join them for this. So they, they were part of seeing the baptisms, which we were worshiping through and everything. So without any more, here's the video. <laughs> 